Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. Welcome into this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. Hey, each week I scan through the email questions that come in. The variety always intrigues me. I mean, I love Wednesday mornings opening up that particular file and starting to scan through questions. The questions you all have that you're confronted with out there with business, jobs, work, and life uh, certainly um, are intriguing and certainly instructive for all of us to figure out how can we do this better You know, one of the things that I see a lot are people just kind of sitting on their hands right now, waiting for things to get better, waiting for somebody to come in and help, waiting for the government to give them a handout. And uh, that's a poor strategy. There's amazing opportunities right now. If you take initiative, if you move ahead, develop a plan, a timeline, act on that. You can uh, surge ahead of the crowd real quickly. Spoke to a group of HR professionals this last week. And one of the things that I shared actually comes from a, the current book that my Wednesday Morning Eagles group is going through called Return to Prosperity by Arthur Laffer. Now, Laffer is an economist, was in under Reagan, and pretty radical kind of guy with some just um, some common sense kind of principles. One of the principles that I shared with these HR people regarding the fact that this week, this last week, the unemployment numbers came out, and again, those numbers are up, much to the chagrin of economists and politicians. However, what do you think happens if the government takes money from those who are making money and gives it to those who are not working? Is there perhaps a natural push to have more people who are then not working? Well, of course there is. I mean, it doesn't take rocket scientists to figure that out. I mean, some of the programs we have there are intended to help, in fact, continue crippling people. I mean, we know the biggest determinant of how long somebody will be unemployed is knowing how long they have access to unemployment benefits. So when the government increases the benefits to go to 99 weeks or some ridiculous thing like they did recently, guess how long it takes somebody to get a job? It's going to be 99 weeks uh, plus about 10 days. If somebody comes out of a job and doesn't have unemployment benefits, it's going to take them about 10 days to find a job on the front end. Now, I know I'm generalizing. There are exceptions to everything. But in general, that's what we see. Just some common sense things we need to introduce back into government and economics to keep us moving. But be that as it may, you as an individual, I as an individual, Dan Miller, don't have to be controlled or determined by what happens in the White House or on Wall Street. I need to be concerned about what's happened in my house and make decisions that make sense there to give me the opportunities that I want. Well, enough on politicizing. I'm going to move on here. we got a lot of questions today, a lot of response to, I ask, should the podcast be some other length other than 48 minutes. Got a lot of feedback on that. People asking, can you really be successful without a college degree? Is it really better to have your own business or is it just opening a can of worms because all the tax consequences you've got there? Somebody has a question about a family business. Somebody asked about the Socratic method. What does that mean? So we got a lot of things, uh, a lot of things to cover. I'm going to jump right into those. Let me start with the podcast length issue. Now I asked last week, Should I, in fact, 
change the length. I picked 48 because I've done a lot to 48, to brand around 48. So 48 minutes seemed like a natural kind of thing. But I mentioned that at the TID conference, the real high-end sophisticated conference that happens in California every year, they allow their speakers, if it's Bill Clinton or Bill Gates or Michael Dell, whoever it happens to be, they allow them 18 minutes. And that perhaps my podcast ought to be 18 minutes. Well, the, the feedback is in. And it is overwhelming. I mean, we're talking 99 to 1 to leave it as it is. So I listen to you, the listeners. That's the only rationale I have for doing this, continuing doing it, and certainly for the length. And so you have spoken very loud and clear. Keep it at 48 minutes. And I'm, I'm literally talking 99 to 1. I mean, I had about two people who suggested something other than keeping it at 48. I was, I was amazed at the consistency of the response. Um, people, I'll just touch on a couple of them here. For those of us that drive a lot, having to select the next podcast every 18 minutes would be a nuisance. Personally, here's Roger says, personally, I would like it to be longer or more than once a week. Your content is so informative and inspiring that I find myself wanting more. I drive 40,000 miles a year and listening to your podcast, uh, you know, keeps me, keeps me going and so on. Uh, Dan from Joe, please don't split it up into 18-minute podcast. I wait eagerly all week to hear your newest podcast. I want more. Don't think I'd be as fulfilled with 18 minutes. Um, here's another one, Dan. I just want to say that I prefer 48 minutes. Karen says, I started listening when my husband lost his job. Please don't, all caps, shorten it. I know I'm addicted. I have a habit of getting up in the middle of the night and downloading it and listening while I play Spider Solitaire. I discovered it when my husband lost his job, your positive outlook with a breath of fresh air. And here's an interesting one. Jason says, I usually run your podcast at two times the normal speed on my iPad touch. A standard built-in feature. This makes it half the normal length, which is just right for me. Your voice doesn't sound like a chipmunk either. Thanks for all you do. So Jason listens to my 48-minute podcast in 24 minutes. That's pretty cool. I know Dr. Wes Connor does that, and a lot of people are used to that. Personally, I I have not been doing that. But um, if it doesn't sound like a chipmunk, that's cool. Well, a couple people suggested, but I mean just just a couple suggested maybe doing like 16 minutes, which is a... Uh, uh, multiple of 16 is 48. They suggested that, just kind of cute responses. But it's really clear that we're going to leave it at 48, which suits me fine. I mean, I have no problem with that at all. But we recently did some dramatic changes to our website and to uh, the blog and to the 48days.net site and to the newsletter format. And I certainly don't want to get just locked into not changing something because it's the way we've always done it. That ain't going to happen around here, so if we need to change it, we will. But for now, we're going to continue with the 48 minutes. Thanks for your positive and overwhelming support and affirmation of what we're doing. Had somebody ask about the Socratic method. I, I mentioned that apparently frequently. I know I dropped that in. I don't know if... Uh, he just wondered what that is, the Socratic method. Is that really the best way of learning? Well, I use that often as a comparison to the modern popular American academic model. The Socratic method, Socrates thought that we only learn by discourse. We learn by discussing things back and forth. Um, From I, I pulled out a definition here. It's a form of inquiry and debate between individuals with opposing viewpoints based on asking and answering questions to stimulate critical thinking and to eliminate ideas. Now that's 
certainly something that I believe in. But now if you contrast that to the American model, even in college and graduate schools, it is largely not that. It is a process of one-way dialect where the professor knows everything, he's read the book, whatever, and he speaks, and there's little opportunity for discourse. So the, the role then is to simply regurgitate back the information the professor has shared, prove that you were listening and you heard it, whether or not you think it's accurate, could be improved or whatever, you regurgitate it, that's how you get a good grade and move on. Now, that's very different than some of the academic models around the world. I mean, I did my doctoral work um, through Oxford, and in that model, you come together with your advisors, choose a path of study, then you leave and you go figure it out, work in small groups, do whatever, and then you come back and then you have discussion groups with your advisors, again, to prove that you really have handled the topic and hopefully have found ways to improve on it, but certainly have understand, understood the learning process. All right, let me move on from that. Michelle asks, we've got a lot of questions. I'm going to go quickly through some of these. Michelle says, having taken your personality profile, I found that I have none of the characteristics needed to sell myself. How do I overcome this problem as I work to create an income from home with my own business? I love helping and teaching people one-on-one, have many skills, but I'm dismal at sales of any kind. Please help. Now, Michelle obviously took the 48 Days Personality Profile. Because I can do a reverse search, I took your email address, Michelle, went back into our database of thousands and thousands of profiles and found your profile. So I'm looking at it. I know exactly what you came out as. Now, on the DISC profile, we have the DISC, Dominance, Influencing, Steadiness, and Compliance. Michelle is extremely low on dominance. Somebody who is high in dominance is real aggressive, in-your-face, bold, daring, Donald Trump, Ted Turner, in-your-face, used car salesman kind of person. She is extremely low on that characteristic. On the eye, you're about midline, meaning influencing, social, gregarious. Then you max out. You are at the very top of the profile in S, somebody who is steady, loyal, faithful, good listener, empathetic, understanding, doesn't like conflict, you know, likes to keep things the same. Yes, you're extremely high there, as you are in the last one. C, compliance, meaning you like things that are detailed, systematic, in place, clear methods, and so on. Now, don't allow yourself to say that you're dismal at sales of any kind. We can have you knock it out of the park in a process, a business of your own that you do from home, especially where you don't have to be the hard driving in your face, nose to nose, belly to belly kind of salesperson to do extremely well. If you take the little USA Today insert or profiles, the little inserts that come into Sunday papers, look in the back of those and see what they have there. They have, gee, 20 minutes and you can learn how to play the guitar or you can buy a little bonsai plant or you can buy jewelry made by ladies in Uganda. I mean, all those things. Now, think about the selling process with that. That requires that somebody tested. They test the sales copy. They test the lead-in. They test how long it's going to be. They test the price. If, if we run this, do a split run, where in half of the country we have 
this little this lesson to learn how to play the piano for 1995 and in another split of the country we have it at 2995 what sells the most what actually produces the most dollars i mean that's how you test those kind of things that kind of selling is not done well by people who are great at glad-handing you when you walk onto the lot at the used car dealership and talk you into buying a car. Those people are way too impulsive and um, too quick to want to get results to go through the detailed process of testing and refining and testing and refining that's required for the major amount of selling that is done where there's never a real person-to-person contact. Now, what I do here, what I do here at 48 Days I never pick up the phone. I never go make a sales call of any kind. Our sales are based on, I mean, you you know the things that that I do. I, I distribute a free newsletter. I do this podcast. We have a website presence. I mean, I do a lot of things. But those things, if you think about those, those do not require a face-to-face kind of sales presentation of any kind. They present information. And then like this week, we sent out a little notice an email blast that said, you know what, we've got some excess inventory of some of our hottest selling products, but we're going to clear it out as we go into revisions. We're going to sell these out for $10 a piece. I mean, we were flooded. I mean, it totally backed up our fulfillment center. We've called in extra people to help because of just a couple real simple little email blasts that went out. You can do the same kind of thing. And knowing that you want to have a business from home makes you a perfect candidate to do exactly that. You need the high S and C characteristics where you use your skills for creating clear systems, operations, methods. You want to track results. You know exactly what got results, what didn't. I mean, it requires your skills, not those of what you commonly probably think of when you think of a salesman. So embrace the uniqueness God has given you and use those to be extremely successful. Yes, in selling, but just not in the kind of selling that may come to mind when you talk about a salesperson. This comes from Nate, 26 years old and fearing failure. Uh, Dan, I always listen to your podcast, find them inspirational, like your thoughts on career areas in my life. I am 26 and do not capital N-O-T, have a college degree. Oh, my gosh. 26, do not have a college degree. I'm single. I'm currently working in a locally owned nutrition store. Nutrition has always interested me. I've been working there for a year now, and I'm advancing quickly. Maybe part of management soon. I'm making 20000 a year currently. The best I could count on earning as a manager is likely around 30000 I'm not in debt, but I'm barely earning enough to get by. Come home every night worn down and stressed out. Now, He goes on, but he says, my self-esteem is taking a beating without a college degree, and most of my friends have one and have much better lifestyles, but I'm unable to decide exactly what I would want to pursue a degree in. So I'm faced with the decision of taking a risk of opening a business that, if I succeed, will be in a field of interest and help to generate a better lifestyle, or go back to college and hope to get a better job that will someday bring bring me similar to success, you know, as what his peers are. I can't continue where I am. I have to make a decision. What are your thoughts on a college degree? Do you think the market is flooded with degrees now? Okay. Let's just, I'm going to give a brief answer to this because, I mean, you've identified some things in here. You do not have a college degree, but you're well thought of in what you're doing. You have an opportunity to move into management. If you spend three years working in a health and nutrition store, learn everything there is to know about that, 
open your own store, get a franchise, you, know, you could go to $100,000 a year. I mean, that's not a stretch to think that you might be able to do that. To think that you can go back to college not even knowing a, an area of focus and just get a degree and somehow move up dramatically beyond the $30,000 you're talking about, no, it's a pipe dream. I mean, there there's thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people walking around with degrees, and they're not making $30,000 a year. I mean, it's not a direct correlation by any means. Now, does it help to increase your options? Perhaps. And it helps with self-discipline, shows that you can really stick with something to go through and get a degree. But don't think that it's a magic ticket. And not having a clear area of focus or an idea of what you want to do, don't go back to college unless you get a clear focus. And you know then that the college degree would, in fact, increase your learning and your preparation for that particular area. Other than that, absolutely not. Now, when you talk about you're faced with the risk of take of starting a business, that if you w- succeed, you'll be in a field of interest and help to generate a better lifestyle. And you contrast that against going back to college without a clear focus, just hoping that it, because you get a degree, you're going to have a better lifestyle. Man, I'll take hamburger A any day of the week. Hamburger A do something that you really do understand, that you care about, map out a plan of action and do that, that's much more likely to elevate your lifestyle than just going to get a degree. Well, Bill says, um, here's my background. I have a dual bachelor's in accounting and finance and an MBA. Here's my problem. I can't focus in one area for more than three or four years. I've worked in accounting, IT, operations, marketing, and now in sales. In all of these roles, I've performed above average according to my performance reviews and in many cases was a top performer. My concern is that my desire to learn all of these areas of the business world are hampering my ability to be seen by others as the IT guy or the marketing guy. Am I wrong to think that we're becoming a society of specialties and that I need to pick a role for my future and go after it with gusto? If not, how can I leverage all this experience into some kind of role that builds on all of it. Well, Bill, what you're talking about, now incidentally, okay, just to refresh, he's got a dual bachelor's in accounting and finance, and then an MBA, a master's of business administration, still a highly regarded prestigious degree. So he's worked in accounting and IT, information technology, operations, marketing, and now in sales. So you've gotten great experience in all of those areas. Those areas are not unconnected. To be able to understand accounting, IT, operations, marketing, and sales gives you a real good grasp. I would not diminish any of those in presenting yourself to an organization or defining what path is going to be great for you in moving forward. I mean, just as we were talking a couple, well, the last question, where a young guy is learning the operations of a health and nutrition store, my gosh, you better know, if you're going to run one of those, you better know some accounting, some information technology, some operations, marketing, and sales. So you're getting a really good background that prepares you to be a candidate of value, Again, whether that's as part of a team or in doing something on your own. So no, I don't think you need to narrow down and artificially just eliminate all the others and focus on one. I mean, I, and keeping in mind that 19 of the companies in America have fewer than 99 employees. In those kind of organizations, 90, 90, what did I say, 97.4%, 
they are more likely to want somebody that does understand accounting, IT operations, sales and marketing, rather than having somebody who focuses in just one area. To get so hyper-focused in one area only, you know, then you need to go get a job with Microsoft or Google or Zappos or IBM or McDonald's or Boeing. Well, th- those companies represent only 2.6% of the companies out there, so it limits your opportunities dramatically by being that narrow. So, no, I think you're fine with the things that you identify. Spike says, I love the podcast. As a result of your inspiration, I've started my own podcast, an online community at sostraders.com. The community is small and intimate, but through low-cost startups and strong affiliate relationships, I have already become profitable in my first year. I've heard you mention that you and Dave Ramsey use church seminars to promote some of your products. I'm interested in learning more about this model. Do you start with a mailing list of churches? Do you walk into churches, put up ads? Do you have a method of finding someone inside of the church to promote the product or seminar? Basically, what is the best and most meaningful way to reach out to multiple churches and promote a seminar? Yeah, great question, a very fair question, and I don't mind at all telling you exactly how we do that. Now, Dave Ramsey and I, uh, it's probably kind of a misrepresentation to say we use church seminars to promote some of our products. I mean, Dave has FPU. I have the 48-day seminars. There are other organizations like church initiatives that produce curriculum for divorce care, grief share, single and parenting like that. We all primarily use the same method of getting into churches and doing seminars. And yes, participants in those seminars use our products. So it's not really, it's not some subtle way to just get exposure there so those people buy everything we have. But I mean, we really do have seminars that have been put together, and we want the people to have the materials in hand so they really fully understand and assimilate the principles. To do that, we look for a champion in that church. Top-down promotion doesn't work very well for any of us. And we've all tried things where we advertise in ministry leadership magazines and have uh, get-togethers for pastors. That's a very slow, tedious process. The best way to get introduced into a church is to have a lay person who is a champion of your material who says, we need to do this here. Because the next part to that is, hey, how about if you lead it? That's the way that we get that done. And, And we all do it the same way. So, I mean, we're in a process right now of dramatically increasing our seminar penetration into churches, and we are not going after pastors or doing advertising campaigns. We're simply tapping people on the shoulder who are already fans of the 48 Days material. They are the ones we want to engage with. Those are the ones that come here to the sanctuary. We equip them with the leader's guide, the DVDs, and the whole thing. They go back and and lead that. This comes from Richard. Now, this, this is interesting. Now, this, this is representative of lots and lots of questions that I got or comments on this particular issue. Your low-cost business ideas are great. Now, if you uh, the, the hottest link on our website, bar none, nothing running close, is the free downloadable PDF for 48 low-cost business ideas. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of people going there and downloading that. I didn't realize that until just a couple of days ago when our um, web team let me know that's what's happening. And, and that's cool. Now, but, but here are some of the comments. Well, I'll just use Richard's as kind of a, a typical one. However, you don't go into the difference on gross, net, self-employment taxes. Do you have a different view on taxes or do you leave this for your audience to find out when they get audited? 
Okay, Richard. Man, that's a pretty negative slant, pessimistic slant on the whole thing. Now, I did, when I put the ideas out there, I mean, they, they are, there's not a complete business plan with each one of them. My gosh, I mean, it'd be a encyclopedia if I did that. I just put ideas out there. But I mean, these are not complicated. These are very simple ideas that you can do on your own. Are you going to have to get a business license that costs 20 bucks from your local county? Yeah, I would recommend that. You know, do you want to get a sales tax license from your state? That in our state, it costs you five bucks to get that. Yeah, probably. So you can buy things wholesale and not have to pay tax on them and then sell them retail and turn in a tax report once a month. Are you going to have self-employment taxes? Absolutely. Now, here's the deal, though. I mean, I, I just this just baffles me to think about it because when I show somebody, you know, here's how you can make another $3,000 a month. If your response is, oh, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make another $3,000 a month because then I'm going to have self-employment taxes. The IRS is going to be looking over my shoulder. Uh, man, I don't want to have to deal with that. Well, if that, in fact, is your reaction, then by all means, keep a job. I mean, that is exactly where you need to be. And that's why we have a, a lot of people who will continue in jobs. That's perfectly fine. But uh, personally, I can't quite get my head around that. I mean, would I rather make $30,000 a year and not have to worry about, you know, filing a tax return and not having to turn in my sales tax? Or would I rather make $100,000 a year and then have to struggle through those very difficult things of having to pay self-employment tax and, um, you know, having to come up with my own company car and having to make my own retirement contributions. Well, I mean, to me, I just, uh, I I wouldn't think for a nanosecond. I mean, I would definitely rather make $100,000 and deal with those things. It's not that complicated. So when people see the obstacles, it just lets me know, you know, what their thinking mentality is. And if that's the way you think and you don't want to have to deal those things and by all means you know go get a job where you don't have to deal with all those things and at five o'clock you come home and on fridays you get a paycheck and you're a happy camper but just be well aware of the trade-off that you're making if you have the ability to go out here and start something on your own or you have the ability to be a consultant you have the ability to do freelance work to be an independent contractor I mean, how can you face up to the idea that you may be limiting your income in half or in third or in a tenth? I mean, I mean, if you think that you're going to move from a $30,000 a year job and go out here and do your own thing and make $35,000, then, yeah, you got a legitimate concern. It's probably not worth a headache. But if you think that you could double, triple, or quadruple your income – then trust me, those little things that have to be dealt with can be put in place in a heartbeat. There are people who will handle those. Not a problem at all. You have to keep in mind that the tax laws in our country are set to crucify employees. Tax laws are not made by people who get a paycheck. Tax laws are made by people who think more like entrepreneurs or capitalists. Sometimes I wonder about that with what we've got going on in Washington right now. But ideally, that is true. But tax laws are worse. They're hardest on people who are employees. 
You make $30,000 there, and I mean, your taxes are taken right off the top. It doesn't matter how tough a year you've had or what's happened in other areas of your life and your health and all that. It doesn't matter. But if you're self-employed, if you're mowing lawns and make $30,000 a year, man, you can deduct, you know, your travel. If you went to a lawnmower show in Pasadena and uh, took your wife along and had a nice trip and vacation while you were doing it, you can deduct your hotel, your travel, your food, now within limits. I mean, you can deduct the medical payments that you've had through an HSA. You could deduct all kinds of things. You're going to end up with a whole lot more net at the end of the year with the same income as a business owner or somebody who's self-employed than you will as an employee. Now, just, uh, I mean, I I know that if you're listening to this, you're intrigued by these kind of ideas. And uh, I don't want to wear you out on that particular thing, but I was surprised at the feedback I got. I did a blog just recently that was titled, Hourly Pay Will Keep You Poor. That's what generated a lot of the responses that came in when everybody was saying, yes, but, yes, but. Okay, let's move on. Joshua says, I work for an advertising business that makes local ads and inserts them on local cable channels. I shoot and put together the commercials. I'm the only employee and just moved from part-time to full-time three months ago. Today, I got into trouble for emailing a client some ideas I had for a production. My boss was very upset, and I didn't mean any harm, but I'm never going to do anything like that again. I learned my lesson. I know she struggles to find enough work for me to do. She doesn't want me to leave, and I don't want to leave either. I like what I do. Being the only employee, I do get quite a bit of freedom as to what I create for clients, but my boss needs to feel like the boss. Well, this is an unfortunate kind of uh, scenario, but it's it's not insurmountable. You know, if you work for a mental midget or somebody who has to be that much in control, it's really not that big a deal. Just feed all your great ideas to the boss. Make her feel like the boss. No problem. Just keep flooding here with great ideas. It'll secure your position there and certainly give you new opportunities as you're working with clients and they see your creativity and innovation that you bring to the table. You're going to get other opportunities there. So just uh, you know, keep your, keep your ears and eyes open. But uh, sure, just feed the ideas back through your boss. Abby says, I heard your podcast. Now, I had a lot of people respond to Somebody asked recently about doing calligraphy, you know, the fancy handwriting. And I said, I just didn't know how there was a market for that in this day and time where you can put into a computer any kind of font that you want. It'll do fancy scripts. It'll make it look like your own handwriting. I mean, I just didn't know how you can leverage uh, doing calligraphy. Had quite a few people write in with good ideas. Abby says... I heard you talk about the woman who loves calligraphy. I agree with you that this could be a hard skill to market if you're just planning to write on paper. But what about on people's walls? I have a friend who loves calligraphy and gets paid for painting beautiful verses, mottos, and custom messages in homes and businesses. There are customizable stick-on verses out there, but it's wonderful to have an artist completely customize the work for you. My friend also teaches one-day calligraphy seminars at local colleges, Votech schools and community centers. Just a few ideas this woman might be interested in. Thanks so much for your show. I really appreciate it. Well, Abby, I appreciate your input. I love it when you all, the listeners, step up to the plate and say, you know, Dan, you really missed it on this. This is a way that this person could be successful. Because in as much as I love new ideas, I don't hesitate to say I don't see the potential with this particular idea. And I do that a lot. So if you see things, and I love your input here. 
Joanna and I do have uh, several of the customizable computer-generated calligraphy sayings, verses, and things that we have on walls in our house. People think it was done by hand calligraphy, but it was not. Now, because it was not, it's certainly much cheaper and much quicker. But, uh, yeah, I, I like the idea of having it done by a real artist. And then they could do little curlicues around it and dress it up. I mean, I like that. So if you can get out and generate the business, absolutely. I think it's a very valid thing to do. And I, and I appreciate the art of calligraphy. Patrick says, I have an idea for a store in the area I live in. I gave some free samples to some people I know to get their take, and two of the people want to be an investor. I'm nervous about how all that works. How can I structure the investors so as not to lose control? Thanks. Well, I would encourage you to test your idea to do a whole lot of things before you open a store. I mean, opening a store with a new product or concept is extremely risky. I would ask you to test, 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 test small. I mean, put things out, go to flea markets. I have no idea what your idea is, but go to flea markets, go to street fairs, uh, put things on eBay, Craigslist. I mean, go to conventions, exhibitions where you can rent a booth. Do anything you can to get a whole lot of positive feedback and get orders for what it is that you have. Now, when you say that you want to have a store, I mean, I don't care if it is books or if it's fudge or cat food. You limit yourself dramatically when you have a physical store. I mean, you're going to have about a five-mile radius of prospective customers, and you need to get a pretty large percentage of those prospects to make that idea work. If you have something on the Internet or on eBay or wherever you may have it like that through a website, you theoretically have access to the entire world and you can have a real tiny, tiny percentage of those prospects and still knock it out of the park. So I would go very, very cautiously about opening a store on an unproven idea. I'd get a couple years under your belt where this was really a success before I'd even dream of having a store. I mean, I sell a whole lot of books. I wouldn't for all the tea in China think about opening a physical bookstore. I mean, I love our little town. We have a quaint little town here in Franklin, Tennessee. It has everything I would look for if I were looking for a place to have a bookstore. But I wouldn't dream of doing it because I see it as such a restrictive idea to do when I have already experienced the power of the Internet and being in a virtual world world for selling products. Now, when you want to bring in investors and you don't want to lose control, lots of luck. You bring investors in, you're going to lose control. You have to decide how much control you're going to be willing to give up. And investors are going to be looking over your shoulder when you want to give away product for testing. They're saying, gee, we just lost revenue there. Or when you want to donate to a, a nonprofit, they're going to say, gee, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Or you want to get a new a laptop computer to take with you when you travel. And they're saying, hey, that old PC you've got sitting on the desk ought to be fine for now because they will have control with you bringing investors. Build your idea, bootstrap it as far as you can possibly go. That means produce your product, sell those. Use the profits to grow the business. It may take you a little longer, but you're much better off to do that than to bring in investors, especially at, right at the front end. I mean, you have no idea where you're going to be a year from now with this business. Don't bring in investors now. Tell me you appreciate their interest. Keep them on the back burner. And when you see that this really is an out-of-the-park idea, then their investment 
is going to allow you to still maintain a whole lot more control than you bringing them in on an unproven idea. Well, I mean, my gosh, is $10,000 worth 50% of your business? Maybe a year from now, if you have a proven idea, $10,000 would only get half of 1% of your business. So no, wait, build your business, bootstrap it as far as you can go. Tyler says, I've been working, you know, let me, let me jump down here. I'm going to skip that one. Mark says, on 9-2, okay, so sometime back, you talked about how hard it is to stand out in the field of photography. I've been a professional photographer for 17 years and I'm watching the industry die. I'm trying to learn what my calling is, but I'm completely lost. I'm currently reading 48 Days to give other advice. Yeah, you know, the the photography industry is changing. We know that. When you show up at a wedding, there are 30 people with digital cameras. They can take it home, Photoshop it, create their own collage, create a hardcover book if they want to. I mean, what a what the amateur can do at this point is amazing. And it makes it very difficult for somebody to stand out as a professional. I mean, what do you bring that really is added value? I'm sure that, you know, lighting and angles and perspective and all that are, are still important. But I think it's hard for the average consumer to appreciate the difference that a professional photographer brings to the table as compared to Sam, you know, his first cousin, and walks in with a digital camera. Now, that being said, you know, calling, your calling is not to be a photographer, you know, photographer may have been your career or your job. You're calling. Back up and look at really what your calling is. What were you trying to do in being a photographer? Is it in helping people capture special moments in their lives and preserve them? I mean, it might be to illustrate the beauty in nature. I mean, so, you know, in doing that, rather than just being a photographer, you may find yourself wanting to manufacture calendars, mugs, and books that display the work that you've done, but give you some leverage in that idea and also the potential for residual income as opposed to just linear. So, yeah, back up and try to figure out what your calling is. But your calling ought to integrate. I mean, in 48 days, I walk through it ought to integrate your skills and abilities, your personality tendencies, your values, dreams, and passions. I mean, those are the things that ought to be integrated into your calling, but it certainly goes beyond what you do daily to generate income. I mean, in what I do, I mean, I want to help people. I mean, I've got a mission statement, but I essentially want to help people find out what their purpose and passion is and then apply that in meaningful, purposeful, and profitable work. Well, there's a whole lot of ways to do that. I mean, if I... We're not writing, speaking, and coaching. Could I find other ways to continue doing those, that very thing that I just described? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I could be a teacher, a politician, a pastor. I mean, I could do all kinds of things and still fully embrace what I just described as part of my calling. You can do the same. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what you've been doing. You, you really can do the same. So if you see your industry changing, I mean, if you've been in the automotive industry or if you're a photographer or if you're a blacksmith, yeah, you better watch out. Those industries may not give you enough opportunity to survive financially. But are there opportunities to still embrace your calling? Yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I deal with all the time are pastors. And I'm working with a gentleman right now who is a, was a pastor. His wife left him. He got a divorce. And so he got fired because he was divorced. Um, through apparently no fault of his own, but he felt like he lost his calling. 
No, he did not lose his calling. He simply lost the opportunity to stand behind a pulpit on Sunday mornings. I mean, I hope I don't, that may sound like an oversimplification, but that's really where I start with somebody like that. You have not lost your calling. Nobody can take your calling away from you. It doesn't matter if the industry you've been in tanks or if the job you has goes, goes away or if you get fired through no fault of your own. Nobody can take away your calling. There are thousands of ways to put legs on your calling, whatever that happens to be. Well, I, I hope that's encouraging. You know, that that's a common theme where somebody was a dentist, a physician, a pastor, a accountant, an engineer, whatever it happens to be. And then something happens and I think, oh, my goodness, you know, I made a wrong turn. I can no longer live out my calling. That is never true. Never, 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 never true. There are multiple ways to engage your calling if you frame it in a way that's proper. If you don't just attach it to having a job. Well, in a calling, golly, there's all kinds of definitions. Frederick Beckner, the theologian, says, you know, your calling is where your great passion and the world's greatest needs meet. So there are ways to frame that, but certainly ways to move on successfully. Jason says, I have an idea for taking. Now, I like this. I I like Jason's thinking. Jason says, I have an idea for taking some of your easy startups and create a branding for several of them and offer them as a package or startup kit throughout the country. I think this would be an opportunity to help others earn extra income or create a whole new career for them as well. I really like the idea. Apparently, number 13, the real estate sign business. I talked about a guy who goes out on the weekends and puts up open house signs. So if he charges five bucks a piece to put it up and five bucks to take it down, puts up 200 of those, and it's going to be 2000 bucks for a weekend of taking up, putting down some signs. Um, I would like to contact the gentleman that you featured in the story to see if he could be hired as a consultant to give me some inside info. I understand you may not want to give out his information, so if you can contact him and give him my email address if he would be interested in my project. Thanks again, Jason. Well, Jason, I love your thinking. I mean, I've had a lot of input on the back end as a result of those 48 low-cost business ideas where people said, well, gee, you didn't really tell me if I'm going to... um, you know, dealing wood chips where I get them free from the tree trimming companies, you know, how to develop that. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't go into exactly how to do that. Again, if I, I mean, take, take the seeds of an idea. Now, what I really intend with those 48 ideas is not for anybody to find the perfect idea for them anyway. I mean, a lot of those are things that I did. I mean, a lot of them, uh, you know, had more value a few years ago than they would today. And, you know, as things change and so on. But what I wanted to do is stimulate your thinking about your own ideas now, could some of those be turned into business opportunities? Absolutely. I mean, there are a couple in there that I have done that. I won't identify which ones, but I have actually turned them into business opportunities. One time I ran an ad in the back of Entrepreneur Magazine. I ran one little tiny ad in there. It cost me about 300 bucks, And I sold a business idea that was simply one of the ideas I have in there. Put it together as a $480 business opportunity. And I sold like 130 of those. So you can do the math on that. That's a pretty decent return. And, I mean, all I did was just send the people the information and said, here's how to do it. Never had a single person ask for their money back. I mean, a lot of those people went out and knocked it out of the park. I'm sure some of them never did anything. But it was a very low cost, $480 for a business idea. But I showed them exactly how I had done it, gave them samples of what I had done. 
And uh, a lot of them could be done like that. So, yeah, no no problem doing that. And hey, if you want to take the idea and turn it into something, you're fine. Uh, as far as the gentleman who did that, I have to think a minute. I know who it was. I know that he has moved on. I mean, he, the last I talked to him, he was managing a, um, it was like a Circuit City or Hi-Fi Buys, one of the stores like that. I mean, he had really moved up and was really doing well. Um, I'm not sure I could track him down. I mean, I, when, when I'm able to, I mean, the, the ideas that I have in there are real ideas, and a lot of them I've identified real people doing those where you can go to their websites or you can talk to them personally. Not a problem at all. A lot of them are things that I've done, and you can pick my brain about them. Jason, it's interesting. In your signature line on your email, I see that you have some killer ideas already up. Golly, I went and checked out a couple of your ideas the replacement headlights that you've got where you take a common headlight and you know up the amps and you show the multiples how you can move that up and get the things that'll you know find a deer at six miles away uh, uh, golly i love the your sights and how you put some things put some things together so it's obvious you're a you're a go-getter and uh, i commend you on doing that daniel says I have a question. I work with unemployed members of my church to help them find more meaningful employment. I've struggled with several of them who seem very set in spending much of their job search time and effort on the activities that yield the worst results, like Internet job postings for weeks on end. Although I understand the principles of effective job searches, I'm struggling to get the fire going for the people I'm working with. When I suggest more proactive methods like those you suggest in your books, they get all weird on me and are certain that what they're doing will eventually work. Some of them have been told have been out of work for over eight months. What are the coaching principles you would be willing to share for those of us that want to help people set in in help people who are set in ineffective methods and beliefs? Well, this is a common question. And and I get I was just recently approached by a, a very large organization who wanted to use the 48 Days brand to create job clubs in churches across America. Job clubs implying that there's really no curriculum. They'd have a one-page overview of a topic to discuss. No curriculum, no real set dates. People come and go as they please, and no real accountability on the back end. I said, thank you very much. I do not want the 48 Days brand associated with that. And you may think, well, wow. I mean, if we were in 10,000 churches with 48 Days Job Clubs, no, because by definition, I don't have a lot of confidence in what I see being done in a lot of churches. Job clubs, career transition programs. I mean, just yesterday I was contacted by somebody who has just resigned as head of a career transition program as a volunteer in a very large church in Dallas because he's gone for 18 months and can't find a job. Uh, Do we see a red flag here? The leader of the career transitions group has gone 18 months and can't find a job? My gosh, please relieve him of his duties, which he has done um, by his own design. But I mean, we got. I want to see clear systems in place. If somebody's going to go through a process, I don't want it to just be you know, where we're crying on each other's shoulders. And a lot of church job clubs or transition programs are simply groups where misery loves company. People get together, moan about how bad things are, and certainly nobody's hiring, and they come back week after week after week because they get a little emotional salve put on, and nothing changes. Nope, don't want to be a part of that. So, yeah, I, I am with you when you get impatient with people who are doing the wrong things and yet simply 
comforting themselves because they think they confuse activity with accomplishment. I'm not going to be a part of that. That's why I'm so clear on how the 48-day seminar has to work. If you're going to call it a 48-day seminar, then by golly, I want people to have certain materials in their hands. I want them to have the personality profile, and I want them to see clear strategies for changing the success that they're currently experiencing. I don't want them to go through there, and six weeks later, nothing has changed, and eight months later, no job. That's ridiculous. I want to change that. And so, yeah, I would say unless you can take the reins and have some people in some kind of an accountability structure going through a timeline, don't waste your time working with people who just want to get together and comfort themselves in doing the wrong things. Okay. Hey, we're at 48 minutes and true to my word, I'm going to stop right there. Boy, got some other great questions. Ah, we'll get to those later. I'll work them in. You know, some of you have asked about doing multiple podcast. I'm not opposed to that. I'm going to be creating more video content and audio through some of our websites. But um, again, you have to realize this is one small part of what I do. I love this shot during the week. Hope that it gives you a boost as well as me. Uh, remember, if you got a question, you can shoot it in to askdan at 48days.com. We also have a phone number. That phone number, you can leave an audio message, is 304-729-4848. Now, it surprised me some that more people don't use that. You, know, you rarely hear me use it here. And, and frankly, I think it slows me down to use those. But it, but it's available, and it probably breaks up the monotony of just hearing Dan Miller's voice if I introduce some of those um, other things. I've got other clips and stuff, too, that I could always play. But the 48 minutes is precious time, and I always have so many questions that I feel are worthy of getting a response that it's hard for me to redirect from that and just introduce other things. So... Hope you enjoy the format. appreciate your feedback. Again, you can shoot me a note at askdan at 48days.com. Thanks for being a part of this community, for your continuing work on the things that you're doing and enjoying this process of creating or finding, finding or creating or somehow manufacturing not only the work but the life that you love. I know I'm doing it, and I know you are too. Have a great week.